0: Part 3. Chapters 3 and 4 of Perkins the Faker, A Travesty on Reincarnation by Edward S. Van Zyl. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Clarissa's Troublesome Baby. Chapter 3. My First and Second. Sometimes a breath floats by me, an odour from dreamland scent, which makes the ghost seem nigh me of a something that came and went. James Russell Lowell i lunched with tom and jack the next day it was an appalling function driving me to the very verge of hysteria and destroying forever my belief in my dream theory my first husband sat in his new high-chair pounding the table with a spoon as if calling the meeting to order while my second husband sat gazing at the baby with a fatuous smile on his handsome face that testified to his inability to rise to the situation behind the baby's chair stood his nurse evidently prepared to defend her prerogatives as the protector of the child's health lurking in the background was the phlegmatic butler no better pleased than the nurse at this experiment of tom's that's it go it horatio cried tom nervously hit the table again my boy that's what it's for i thought that your idea tom was to teach horatio how to behave in public i suggested playfully still calm in the belief that i had been deceived in the nursery by a dream but as you said clare argued tom he's very young it's really not bad form you know for a baby to pound a table with a spoon is it nurse i think not sir answered the nurse pushing the high chair back to its place the baby had kicked it away from the table while tom was speaking isn't he isn't he rather er uh, nervous my dear asked tom glancing at me with paternal solicitude it's quite normal this ah tendency to bang things and kick perhaps he's hungry tom i suggested lightly my spirits were rising in the presence of the baby whose appearance and manner were those of a healthy child something under a year in age the absurdity of my recent incipient nightmare was so evident that i blushed at the recollection of my nonsensical panic reincarnation bah. "'What silly rubbish we do get from the Far East!' "'Of course he's hungry,' assented Tom, glancing down at the bird the butler had put before him. "'With your permission, nurse, I'll give the youngster a square meal. "'How would a bit of the breast from this partridge do? "'It's very tender and digestible.' "'How absurd, Tom!' I cried. "'He'd choke!' "'He's choking as it is!' exclaimed Tom, half-rising from his chair." Pat him on the back, nurse. "'He's all right, sir,' said the nurse calmly as Horatio's cheeks lost their sudden flush and he opened his pretty little eyes again. "'You needn't worry, Mr. Minturn. He's in perfect health, sir.' "'Aren't they queer?' exclaimed Tom, glancing at me laughingly. "'Sir,' cried the nurse in pained amazement, "'I meant babies, nurse.' explained tom soothingly motioning to the disaffected butler to refill his wine-glass but look here clare you and i are eating and drinking heartily but poor little horatio is still the hungry victim of a dietary debate what is he to have milk the baby leaned forward in his chair seized his empty silver bowl with a chubby hand and hurled it to the floor horatio tom's voice was stern as he scowled at the mischievous youngster i could not refrain from laughing aloud is that bad form tom for a little baby i asked mischievously no answered tom repentantly i don't blame you at all horatio your prejudice my boy against an empty bowl when you are both hungry and thirsty is not unnatural give him some bread and milk nurse or he'll overturn the table what a wonderful study it is claire to watch a baby develop do you know horatio is actually able to grasp a syllogism or a milk bowl i added don't interrupt my scientific train of thought protested tom gazing musingly at the child i saw his mind at work just now i'm hungry thought horatio there's my silver bowl the bowl is empty there are bread and milk in the house if i throw the empty bowl to the floor my nurse will return it to me filled with food so here goes q e d clever baby isn't he it was at that moment i met the baby's eyes and a sharp chill ran down my back and found its way to my finger-tips there was an expression in the child's troubled gaze so eloquent that its meaning flashed upon me at once if the baby had cried aloud what an amazing fool that man is i could not have been more sure than i was of the thought that had passed through his infantile mind what's the matter Claire? i heard tom asking me apprehensively do you feel faint not at all i hastened to say turning my eyes from my first to my second husband the former was eating bread and milk reluctantly it seemed to me from a spoon manipulated by his nurse that it was really jack who was sitting there in a high chair doomed to swallow baby food while he craved partridge and burgundy was a conviction that had come to me for a fleeting moment to be followed by a return to conventional common sense and a renewed satisfaction in my environment tom sat opposite me smiling contentedly while between us at a side of the table the baby perfunctorily absorbed a simple but nutritious diet deftly presented to his tiny mouth by his attentive nurse it was a charming scene of domestic bliss at that moment and i realized clearly how much i had to lose by giving way even intermittently to the wretched hallucinations that my overwrought nerves begot just look at him clare exclaimed tom presently i tell you it's an interesting study it's elevating and enlightening my dear to an evolutionist there's a world of meaning in that baby's enthusiasm for bread and milk here he sits at the table covered with gastronomic luxuries and actually rejoices in the simplest kind of food you see clare how well the difference between horatio and myself in regard to diet illustrates spencer's definition of evolution as a continuous change from indefinite incoherent homogeneity to definite coherent heterogeneity through successive differentiations and integrations great scott nurse what's the matter with him he's choking again it's nothing sir remarked the nurse quietly as the baby recovered from a fit of coughing and resumed his meal but if you'll pardon the remark sir i think that he's much better off in the nursery it was not a tactful suggestion and i knew that tom felt hurt but he maintained his self-control and made no further comment merely glancing at me with a smile in his eyes i realized with a vague uneasiness that open and active hostilities between baby's nurse and tom were among the possibilities of the near future and it was not a pleasing thought what does he top off with asked tom presently grinning at horatio who had emptied his bowl and had stuck a fist into his rosebud mouth as if still hungry have you got a ice for him james the butler stood motionless gazing fixedly at the nurse what queer ideas you have tom I cried to break the strain of an uncomfortable situation. An ice would give him an awful pain. Perhaps he'd like a Welsh rabbit, then, growled Tom crossly. The baby seized a spoon and rapped gleefully on the table. Isn't he cunning? I cried delightedly. He's happy now, isn't he? I'm inclined to think, Tom, that he'd rather have a nap than a rabbit. Not on your life, came a deep, gruff voice from nowhere in particular i looked at tom in amazement thinking that he had playfully disguised his tones and was poking fun at me and the baby but tom's expression of wonderment was as genuine as my own while the nurse was gazing over her shoulder at the butler who was eyeing us all in a bewildered way tom glanced at the nurse leave the room james he said hotly i'll see you later in the smoking-room then to the nurse remove the baby will you please thank you for letting us have him for an hour as soon as we were alone in the dining-room tom leaned toward me and said shall i discharge james my dear he was most infernally impudent to put it mildly but the frightful certainty had come to me that the butler was innocent of any wrong-doing absurd as the bald statement of fact seemed to be my first husband was the guilty man and struggle as i might against the conviction i knew it give him another chance tom i managed to say my voice unsteady and my tongue parched james was not quite himself i imagine i'm not well tom give me a swallow of cognac will you please tom alarmed at my voice and face hastily handed me a stimulant and presently i felt my courage and my colour coming back to me chapter four nursery confessions the priceless sight springs to its curious organ and the ear learns strangely to detect the articulate air in its unseen divisions and the tongue gets its miraculous lesson with the rest n p willis i longed yet dreaded to have an hour alone with the baby i could no longer doubt that through some psychical mischance jack's soul had found a lodgment in a family hospitable by habit and inclination but not accustomed to disquieting intrusions it was thus that i put the matter to myself as i sat alone in my boudoir after luncheon having dismissed marie my maid with a message to horatio's nurse and the conventional make-up of my thought revealed to me in a flash of insight the materialistic tendencies of my mental methods metempsychosis had never assumed to my mind the dignity of even a philosophical working hypothesis much less had the idea ever come to me that reincarnation actually furnished a process through which the physical laws of evolution and the conservation of energy might find a psychical demonstration my natural inclination to take the world as i found it and to leave the inner mysteries of life to profounder minds than mine had been intensified by my association with tom a disciple of Heckel, buckner and other extremists of the materialistic school i had come to admire tom's intellectuality and to find satisfaction in the fact that his fondness for scientific studies would strengthen him to resist the temptations that surrounded him to become a mere man of leisure and luxury possessed of great wealth and without a profession it was fortunate for tom that he had found in scientific research an outlet for his superabundant energies he had begun to make a reputation for himself as a clear-headed well-balanced evolutionist both conservative in method and progressive in spirit and at our table could be found at times the leading scientific minds of new york and now into our little stronghold of enlightened materialism had been dropped a miraculous mystery or mysterious miracle that had overthrown all my preconceived ideas of the universe and opened before me a limitless field of groping conjecture i realized with due gratitude to fate that if i had been born with an imaginative poetical temperament my present predicament would have driven me insane at the outset fortunately for everybody concerned i am a woman who rebounds quickly from the severest nervous shock and i have taken a great deal of pride in retaining my mental poise in crises of my life that would have made hysteria excusable nevertheless it was a severe test of my nervous strength to hold horatio in my arms at four o'clock that afternoon and watch his nurse donning her coat and hat preparatory to a short ride with marie i had carefully planned this opportunity for an uninterrupted hour with the baby but now that it lay just before me i longed to run away from it The nursery had become to me a temple of mysteries, within which I felt chilled and awe-stricken, a victim of supernatural forces against which I was both rebellious and powerless. After the nurse had left the room, I seated myself in a rocking-chair, cuddling Horatio in my arms and softly humming a lullaby, attempting to deceive myself by the thought that I really wished him to sleep for an hour. In my innermost consciousness lay the conviction that I had actually come to the nursery for a heart-to-heart talk with Jack my deepest desire was to be quickly gratified a gruff whisper came to me presently from his pretty lips stop that bye-bye baby will you clarissa he said petulantly haven't i had enough annoyance for one day hush hush i murmured rocking frantically in the effort to put the child to sleep despite my realization of the utter inconsistency of my action don't don't growled the baby "'Do you want me to have mer, Clarissa?' "'I can't be responsible for what may happen. "'Where did everybody get the notion that a baby must be shaken after taking?' "'It's getting to be an unbearable nuisance, Clarissa.' "'Is that better, Jack?' I whispered, holding him upright on my knees "'and peering down into his disturbed face, puckered into a little knot "'as if he were about to cry aloud. "'Thank you,' he muttered gratefully under the circumstances my dear perhaps it's well that i didn't get that welsh rabbit but frankly i was bitterly disappointed at the moment what can you expect jack i asked argumentatively again astonished at the matter-of-fact way in which i was handling this astounding crisis you seem to have a man's appetite but only a baby's digestive apparatus that's my punishment clarissa he explained in awestruck tones in the former cycle i ate too many rabbits that was scored against me under the general head of gluttony and the subtitle midnight unnecessaries i'm up against it clarissa i wouldn't complain if it were merely a question of not getting what i want but it's getting what i don't want that jars me you understand of course my dear that generally speaking i refer to milk isn't there something in its place that you could persuade the nurse to give me don't babies get er malt extract for instance i'll do what i can for you jack i said suddenly struck by a brilliant idea but i must make a condition and you must make me a promise i'd promise you anything for a change of diet muttered jack kicking vigorously with his tiny legs and waving his fat fists in the air if you'll swear to me jack never to speak aloud again unless you and i are alone together i'll agree to make every effort in my power to add to your physical comforts comforts be blowed exclaimed the baby crossly what i want are a few luxuries and furthermore my dear i'm getting very weary of that machine-made nurse she's narrow clarissa i don't wish to speak harshly about a woman whose heart seems to be in the right place but you must get rid of her if you care a continental rap about your little baby you'll have to fill her place clarissa with somebody more broad-minded and up-to-date she bores me to death you don't mean that you've been talking to her jack i cried horrified that's not necessary growled the child what with her little baby go to and now horatio oh dear little pet lambie she freezes the words upon my tongue another thing clarissa that you can't fully understand i'm not permitted through psychological conditions that you cannot grasp to talk to anybody but you it will relieve your mind to know that i'm as dumb as a-as a real baby when you're not within hearing i'm so glad of that jack i exclaimed impulsively "'From things you've said before I had obtained a different impression.' "'I was only trying to scare you, Clarissa,' remarked Jack mischievously. "'But I've told you the truth at last. "'By the way, what a stupendous idiot Tom Minturn is! "'How in the world did you happen to marry him?' "'Jack!' I cried angrily. "'I am amazed at your lack of good taste. "'You are hardly in a position to do Tom justice.' Unless you refrain from making such brutal remarks in the future, I shall leave you entirely to the care of the nurse. And be accused of neglecting your only child, suggested the baby, slyly. I had not grasped the full scope of this clever remark before I was startled by a quick step in the hallway, the throwing open of the door and the sound of Tom's voice crying. Oh, here you are. I've found you at last, have I? What a pretty picture you make, Claire, there in the half-lights with the baby on your knees. How is the dear little chap? Poor fellow! He must have thought that his dismissal from the luncheon-table was rather abrupt. What an ass he is, whispered Jack under his breath. Then he began to cry lustily, as had been his custom whenever Tom had deigned to enter the nursery. End of chapters 3 and 4